Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. And man, we have a great show for you this week. I had the opportunity to sit down here in the studio with Dr. Jeff Myers. Jeff is president of Summit Ministries. And there, the mission is to cultivate rising generations to resolutely champion a biblical worldview. And our discussion really centers around this idea of a biblical worldview. You see, Jeff, in the past 20 years, has become one of America's most respected authorities on youth leadership development. And his latest book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews, is going to be released in August of 2017 by David C. Cook. So on this week's episode, Jeff shares very openly with us, and he speaks of the power of being honest with God and also being honest with ourselves. Then we dive into an absolutely fascinating discussion where Jeff shares some surprising statistics from a recent study that focused upon how Christians are being influenced by these alternate worldviews, including Islam. Jeff also shares with us some very practical keys to helping people embrace a truly biblical worldview, which as ministry leaders, I think you'll find very, very valuable. So get ready to learn as you listen in to my conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers. We're excited to have Dr. Jeff Myers in the studio with us today. Jeff, welcome to Church Leaders. Jason, thank you. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Now, um, we're pretty excited because you have a new book coming out. The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. It's been released by David C. Cook in August uh, of 2017. And in that book, I I came across this as I was reading. You say, we live in a time of war. There are no soldiers in this battle, yet attacks occur every minute of every day. The battle we're in is a battle of ideas. Mm. Jeff, can you help us better understand this battle of ideas that we're in? Well, you know, Jason, Everybody I've met on the entire planet, uh, they, they may not ask questions about no oh, materialism or Marxism and things like that, but they're all asking questions like, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Is, does my life have purpose? Why can't we all get along? Is there any hope for the world? And those questions are answered every single day on in Facebook memes and songs on the radio and all kinds of things. But the answers may not be good ones. They still get into our minds, however, and they infect us in the same way that viruses infect our bodies. And so we go our whole lives carrying around all of these bad ideas that in times of stress can spring up into our lives. You know, for instance, if you're if, if you're in a time where you, you, it's really tough for you, you go undergo a lot of stress, maybe you're starting to feel depressed, you begin to wonder, does my life really have purpose? And you think, wait a second, I've, I've always had a sense of direction. I've always kind of known where I'm going to go in life. And all of a sudden, I'm really questioning that. And it's these idea viruses that sneak up. So in so many ways, we live in a world of ideas. And if we don't think about the way ideas that are out there in the culture affect us, then we're missing a lot of what makes us miserable and sickens our souls. But we're also missing a lot of what could give us a lot of boldness in communicating about Jesus. Yeah. So do you think that uh, people walking through their, their daily routine, do you think that they're cognizant that there is this battle of ideas going on? 
I'm not sure we're really cognizant that it happens. You know, we just do what we do. We scroll through our Facebook page. We see different people posting things on Twitter. We maybe watch the evening news or we watch a movie or listen to music on the radio. But there are ideas being presented all of the time. Uh, one, I had an interesting discussion with my kids about, uh, you know, we're listening to the radio and, and I had been talking to them a little bit about materialism, the idea that only the material world exists. It's not about having a lot of stuff. It's the idea that there's nothing out there except the material world. We humans are basically just animals, you know, and that worldview is out there. And then this song comes on by Maroon 5 called Animals. And you're like, you could not have, if you were a philosopher, you could not have written a more materialistic song. And yet it's on the radio being played all the time. People sing along to it. I think those ideas affect us a lot more than we realize. So really in, in many regards, culture is consistently shaping our worldview, whether, whether we know it or not, it's just by virtue of being human and being inundated with messages and voices from uh, all, all different places, we're being shaped day in and day out. We are, we're always being shaped. And we, we, we're shaped, of course, when we go to church, uh, but we're also shaped by our education. We're shaped by our families. There are a lot of influences that shape us, but I, I think the culture is, is a big part of that. And after a while, you start to pick up certain messages. For example, um, most songs on the radio are about love, right? So, but what, what is it about love? And today the message is, it's not really so much about love, it's about sexual satisfaction, Right. So then over time, we begin to think, well, you know, if I'm really not sexually satisfied, then I'm not really loved. And you end up in a situation where something in the neighborhood of 70 percent of Christians are regularly looking at pornography, trying to find sexual satisfaction rather than looking to the source of love in Jesus and relying on him to meet our deepest needs of intimacy so that we can relate to other people in a loving way and find true love. So the key then is for us to get back to a what you call biblical worldview, right? right? An understanding, a biblical understanding of of these key things that are part of our life. You know, does life have purpose? What does it mean to be loved? And all, all of those types of things, correct? I think it is. It's getting back to a biblical worldview. And I will tell you, Jason, as I was writing this book, uh, the book came out of a, a time of great personal distress for me and a time when I was I wasn't sure I really wanted to go on. In fact, some buddies saw that I was in distress and invited me on a hunting trip. And as we were, um, we, we shot our limit by noon one day because we were in this area where it's just incredible hunting. Uh, everybody else went to take a nap. I couldn't rest, so I just went out for a long run. And uh, just thinking through all of the distress that had taken place in my life and all the difficult circumstances and all of the heartache, and I, I started to feel this sense of sadness overwhelm me. So I just turned up the music on my MP3 player, which, you know, that would drown it out. And then the battery died on the MP3 player. And I was left alone with just this prayer time with God. And all of a sudden, I just burst out. God, I think you're a bully. I think that's what's going on. I have, what, what have I done wrong? I've tried to love you. I've tried to serve you. And now you're just kicking me when I'm down. And I had this almost a Job-like conversation with God. And I began to wonder, am I really loved? Do I have a sense of purpose? And here I am asking this as a, a Christian apologist. You know, I, I had just completed three 600-page books on every aspect of a Christian worldview. And yet, there in my heart, I was wondering, is Jesus really the answer? 
And so the book came out of that questioning time for me. It was really a time for me to go back and ask, am I really loved? Do, do, does my life have purpose? Why can't we get along? And, and then sharing those answers with the reader. Jeff, I really want to thank you for your transparency right there, uh, because I know that uh, among our audience, you know, pastors and, and church leaders, there are many that I'm sure wrestle with some of those same questions and, and think the same yeah. thing. Here, here I am, you know, called and in, in leading a church. You know, I have I have people that God's entrusted to me, and yet I'm wrestling with some of these these deep questions. So, so That's just right. the fact that you you've shared that, I think helps all of us mm. to remember mm. that, that, that we're on a journey with Christ, right? Yeah. We're, we're on this ongoing journey. And, and yeah, there are different influences, um, but God's always trying to break through and, and, and kill the batteries on the MP3 player, mm. right? That's and give exactly us that, right. that time with him. And you know, he did that. I think God did that in a, in a way to liberate me from my desire to, to numb the pain rather than to right. really face it. And, and I wonder sometimes if uh, we, you know, we choose people to be pastors because we think they have fewer problems than anybody else. So, you know, as pastors, we begin to think, oh, well, it's my job to have fewer problems than anybody else. That's why I get paid to do what I do. So every time, every day you go to work and you're, but you're, you're facing other people's issues, then you're wrestling with things yourself. And it's this impossible situation that creates such tremendous tension. And I, I think the release from that uh, in many ways is vulnerability. You know, I tell a lot of stories in the book about things that, uh, you know, could they might be startling to people to realize. But, you know, I, I just don't see any other way around that. Vulnerability is how God shines the light of his truth into our lives. That's so good. I mean, we have to be honest with God, obviously, but we also have to be honest with ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that, that oftentimes in ministry we struggle with is because we're doing exactly what you're saying. We feel like uh, in some way we have to have have it together, right? Um, because we are in ministry in, in some fashion. And so the reality of us being honest with ourselves, and that sounds like that was a moment for you where you just, you got honest with God, saying, God, I think you're a bully, but you were also in that moment getting really honest with yourself and, and the feelings that you were having and, and giving voice to those. Mm. It, it changed my walk with Christ. I have to tell you, I, I would wake up in the morning and think, God, you had better be there because I don't have any place else to go. And then he would remind me, my mercies are new every morning. I'm always faithful. And I, and I would just sit, lay there and wrestle. Okay, God, I don't, I don't know if I can do three months of this or six months of this. Um, you know, I, I lost my marriage. My, my kids are hurting, all of these things going on. And what, you know, I don't think I can do it. And it was as God would say, let's not do six months. Let's do today. Wow. Let's do today. That's so good. And then there were even times, honestly, there were days where I would think I can't do today. And God would say, can you make it till lunchtime? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can make it till lunchtime. And, and we would just go on hour by hour. And then it became almost a minute by minute recognizing of God's mercies and looking for them. But it's, it's interesting to me how the intellectual search for truth and reality in a biblical worldview converged with those deep questions I have about love and purpose and, and healing and hurt and all of those kinds of things that I wrestle with. I look out and realize everybody around me in church is wrestling with those same questions, no matter where you are in the world. Exactly. Exactly. And it's interesting because your organization, your ministry, uh, Summit Ministries, recently commissioned the Barna Group to conduct a research study among practicing Christians, right? Just like we're speaking about, people who are in churches, attending regularly, who profess faith. And as they did this research, what they're looking at was how— are Christians here in America 
how are they being influenced by these other worldviews and what kind of impact is that having on how they view what the world is, how the world ought to be, and those types of things. I, th- I thought it was fascinating. I know this is, this is new research. It's just being released now. But I thought it was absolutely fascinating that the study indicated that only 17% of Christians who say that their faith is important and attend church regularly actually have a biblical world view. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. Uh, you know, if you're a pastor listening to this, I want you to imagine looking out at your congregation right now. Only one out of five of the people you see has a biblical worldview. Now, we've, we've seen research from the Barna Research Group for a long time, right? Uh, my 20-year-old son just sort of sardonically calls them bad news Barna because it seems <laughs> like all the research is showing this decline. But our question was really this. If people aren't influenced by a biblical worldview, what are they influenced by? And so we've got 83% out there who are influenced by some worldview other than a biblical worldview. What is it? What influences are they experiencing? And that's where the research for us became jaw-dropping. I just thought I was going to get some more information for my book, but it turns out this research, I think, is going to be pretty earth-shattering as it comes out for the church. We're going to have to really grapple with the fact that the people who are in our pews are not as influenced by Jesus as they are influenced by some of the other worldviews and even people like Karl Marx. Right. Now, let me ask you, because this is what you do. This is what you give your life to, basically, um, helping people understand a biblical worldview and, and how that plays into their lives and, and the purpose that God has for them and those types of things. So were you surprised that the percentage was that low, that was only 17%? I was a little bit surprised. You know, it's the, the cool thing about Barna's research is that it's consistent over time. They ask the same six questions. Do you believe there's an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving creator of the universe? Do you believe the Bible is true and what it teaches? Do you believe Jesus was the Son of God? And so forth. They ask six questions. They're consistent through time. They may not be the only six questions that are important, but since they've asked the same ones forever, we can sort of track things through time and see how things go. I wasn't surprised that that Christians answered in that way. For example, one of the questions the Barner Research Group asks is, do you think that morality is absolute? Uh, and I don't remember how they asked the question exactly, but you would have to somehow agree there's some source for truth that is always true in every time in every culture. And most people in America do not believe that. They think that morality is relative to their personal situation. You know, whatever they feel is right is what is right for them. And it would be, it would be impossible for that worldview to have not sunk into the church in some form or fashion. So I, I don't think it's all that surprising. I guess what surprised me more are some of the worldviews that did influence people. Right. Uh, now, let, let's jump into that a little bit because there are five different areas that – the, the research kind of focused on, and then your, your book just digs you more deeply into these five areas, these different worldviews. So new spirituality, secularism, postmodernism, Marxism, and Islam. Islam. Right. So first question is, why these five? Why did you focus on these, these five? Uh, I, I appreciate you're asking the question, Jason. I think there are probably hundreds of worldviews out there in the world today, right? I mean, even so, I saw a study in, in Great Britain where uh, several thousand people said their religion is Jedi, And and there were several thousand who said their religion is heavy metal, uh, you know, heavy metal music. So you you could probably have hundreds, but we can't really analyze and consider hundreds of different viewpoints. We just don't have the time or inclination. 
So I asked, what are the five or six worldviews that seem to encompass 95% of the thinking of people in the Western world today? And, and that's why these five worldviews, plus the Christian worldview, ended up being the six most dominant, influential worldviews. So you've looked at these five different worldviews and then also the Christian worldview. But did you consider other worldviews to include something such as capitalism? Yeah, a, a capitalism is an economic perspective that I think fits inside various worldviews. Um, there are people out there who are secularists, who are capitalists, because they say the material world is all there is and I'm going to get everything I can. But there are also Christians out there who are capitalists because they think, you know, uh, a system that's free, that offers free exchange, gives people more choices. And what people in poverty really need to be able to come out of poverty is to have more choices, more access to markets, and capitalism better than any other system promotes that. So I, I felt like it would be better to pick these six basic worldviews that, that deal with the basic understanding of who God is and what God is actually like, and then start to deal with questions like, okay, so how does capitalism, socialism fit into this? How do issues like immigration and healthcare and all these things that we're talking about, how do they fit into this? I felt like if I could give people a framework for thinking, then they could approach whatever issues come up, such as where we are economically and whether we should have tax cuts and things like that. Excellent, excellent. So let's jump into um, some of the insights from the research on some of these these different worldviews. So uh, when we look at new spirituality, I thought it was interesting that one-third of practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, if you do good, you'll receive good, and if you do bad, you'll receive bad. So basically the concept of karma, right? Right. So, so how, how do we see that playing out in, in the church? Well, I think people, a lot of people come to church because they feel like uh, this is what I do to show to God that I'm a good person, and then God will owe me good in return. So I, I think a lot of Christians, and I think I, this is especially true with the Christian young adults we work with at Summit Ministries, they come in thinking, if I have been good, if I haven't slept with my girlfriend, I haven't gotten high, whatever, if I've been good, then God will owe me a good life. He will owe me the life of, you know, a, of being a prince in this world and having all of my, uh, my financial needs met and so forth. And so we, we kind of make these bargains with God that if my behavior is right, then you will repay me because you have to because that's a law of the universe. But that doesn't come from Scripture in that way. It comes from a new spiritualist worldview or some people call a new age worldview that everything in the universe is one thing and we call that thing God. And since we're part of it, we are God. And so uh, what comes around goes around because we go through cycles of reincarnation <laughs> throughout, uh, throughout all of history. That's where that idea comes from. Right. And what's fascinating about that is you probably, um, if you ask the average churchgoer, um, hey, do you, do you believe in reincarnation, for example? They're going to say, absolutely not. And yet whenever you begin to talk about some of these nuances that have influenced their worldview, um, they have roots in those very things. That's exactly right. And I can give you some other examples. And this this is going to be a future project that we're doing with Barna. We were curious about how many people are influenced by Islamic thinking today. Islam is growing rapidly and it's influencing the United States of America. And uh, this turned out to be a pretty tricky project. Because if you ask somebody, do you believe in Sharia law, that people should be forced to obey God according to um, these laws given in the Quran, you know, 99% of Christians are going to say no. So instead, we ask them, do you believe that the root of society's problem is 
that people do not obey God and they should be forced to do so if necessary. And 51% of the millennial generation either somewhat agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. Wow. That's, that's wild. So let's talk a little more about what you uncovered when you looked at the issue of Islam and its influence, because I think that's going to be fascinating to most people, because obviously a majority of Christians would say there's no way that, you know, Islam could have an influence on, on my worldview. And yet it seems that you guys discovered that indeed there are some, some influences that we find in the church today. Uh, there are influences from Islam. Um, a lot of it comes back to people's understanding of God. We asked, do you, do you believe that everybody who worships God basically is worshiping the same God or spirit? And uh, a very high percentage of Christians said, yes, that's, that's basically it. I mean, they don't, they don't want their friends to feel alienated. They don't want their neighbors to feel like, oh, I, this Christian is throwing me under the bus by saying that my God is a false God. They, don't, they, don't, they want to just get along with everybody, right? Right. But then we also asked, do you think that the, the Quran or the Book of Mormon have equal authority with Scripture? Very high percentage of Christians, especially young adult Christians, said they think that's, that is true. So we, we, we give up on the idea that the Bible is our special revelation from God and is our ultimate source of authority. And you've got a generation where the students who are coming to us to study at Summit for two weeks, uh, you know, they, you quote uh, Mahatma Gandhi, you quote Martin Luther King, you quote John 3.16 about love, and they don't really see the difference between those. They don't see why John 3.16 should have any special authority so mm-hmm. uh, that's just a matter of biblical training. That's something we, as pastors, you, you know, we can do that in the pulpit to say, why do we believe the Bible has authority? Why do, why do we say the Bible is a special revelation from God? We can go back and rehearse that a little bit so that we can, we can have a better balance when we're facing those kinds of challenges in the culture. Yeah, Jeff, and, and speaking of that, uh, as we're talking to our audience, how can pastors and ministry leaders be more intentional personally for themselves when it comes to embracing a biblical worldview because obviously if if this research shows that it's seeped into the church to such a degree many ministers um, living in the world in which we live more than likely have been impacted or influenced as well uh, by competing worldviews Mm. so what can pastors do themselves for themselves intentionally to to really make sure they're grounded in this biblical worldview Uh, i've spent a lot of time trying to answer that question for myself and when I uh, asking a question, I try to teach about it or interact about it or write about it. And, and so that's one thing people can do. We put together a worldview library at Summit just this last year with David C. Cook Publishers. And it's three 600-page volumes with 5,000 footnotes edited and, and had subject matter experts uh, who, across the theological, conservative theological spectrum. And it, it, helps, it helped me grapple with these big questions in life. Where do I go to understand what a biblical worldview looks like when it's applied to justice issues or poverty issues or all of these kinds of things? I, I think there are a lot of great resources out there, and it's good to read. I mean, we want to go outside of, we want to understand what Scripture says, then we want to start looking at, well, how does that apply to this issue? And there are all sorts of authorities out there who can help us. I think the second thing is just to be honest and asking questions about what's really influencing people. I mean, maybe as a pastor, you've spent 30 hours preparing your sermon, but the people in your church didn't spend 30 hours on that topic. They spent 30 hours watching television. They spent 30 hours seeing hundreds of commercials. They see, they, the average American sees 3,000 commercial messages a day. Just start paying attention to all the messages that are around you. Bring them into the sermon, and it creates a sense of trust. that My pastor knows the real world that I live in. 
I'll tell you a third thing that was, this was hugely important for me. One of my mentors, when I was asking a lot of really tough questions in life said, look, uh, we're not afraid of any questions as Christians. We're not afraid of any questions. You can imagine as a young man, that was such a breakthrough for me. It gave me such a sense of relief. Not that my mentor would claim to know all the answers, but that he knew there were answers out there if I was really, really willing to seek them. I think we want to create that sense in our churches. Uh, if you stand up and take a position on an issue, uh, the people in the pew are saying, oh, that's fine. But, you know, when I stand at work around the water cooler, if I tried to say that, I would be labeled as a bigot. I would be labeled as intolerant. I would be denied work opportunities because be, I would be a pariah, essentially, in my in my workplace. Students in the classrooms are thinking that in a major way. I mean, it's unbelievable how angry some professors are today and how much they're willing to take on and attack Christian students in class. So they've got to have a livable worldview. And then to be able to personally mentor, I think it's great for a pastor to be able to say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm going to explore it a little bit. And I'd like to get together for you with, for coffee with you. And then I'll show you maybe a little article that I read and I will read it and then we can talk about it. You don't even have to arrive at answers to all the questions just to be the kind of place where it's okay to ask big questions and to try to figure out how would Jesus articulate this in the culture such as ours? It's a huge part of the answer. And I think that's so good just to um, the willingness to journey with people and explore things together uh, instead of always feeling like we have to have the answer. Um, I remember uh, when I was uh, young in ministry, one of my mentors um, explained to me and said, you know what, you don't always have to have the answer. And in fact, many times, the greatest way to minister to someone is by not having the answer, but saying, let's let's journey this together and let's explore it, right? And I think that's one thing that we as ministers kind of struggle with because, again, we're, we're the people who are supposed to have the answers in some way, right. and yet life is moving at such a rate. So many things are changing that we're always kind of in mode of, of exploration. We've got the, the constancy of Scripture that we can stand on as a foundation. Um, and yet there's so many things moving around us and so many people have questions and are experiencing so many things that oftentimes we don't experience ourselves, but the, the places they find themselves, you know, on a, you know, a, a university campus, right. Yes. Is a big one, right. So all kinds of things are bombarding them, things they've, they haven't experienced before. And now they have to kind of come with those questions. And so just being there journeying alongside of someone through those questions, exploring those questions together. What I'm hearing you saying is a great way for us to help our people um, that God's entrusted us with to embrace a biblical worldview. Yeah, and I think we ask questions on purpose. In fact, I think we're better off teaching people to ask questions. Uh, at Summit, we, we bring students in 16 to 21 years of age for 12 days. They are on their way to college. We know what faces them on the other side of that, you know, I, on the other side of that Ivy League campus. So they come in and the very first thing we do is teach them to ask questions, simple questions like, what do you mean by that? Or how did you arrive at that conclusion? Or do you think that's the whole story? You just said something really horrible about Jesus. Do you think that's the whole story of the whole, you know, of all of Christian history? Those kinds of questions, not to put people on the defensive, but to help people realize, no, this is a bigger world. Than, than what you might be thinking. You can't summarize this on a bumper sticker. You know, we have to really grapple as, as people with these big questions. And I'll tell you, when I learned to ask the question, how did you arrive at that conclusion of people on university campuses? I found that a great number of my professors had had 
very painful personal experiences that cause them to question whether God really exists or whether he's really loving. Wow. It's not just people in, it's not just in seminary where we deal with the problem of pain. Um, everybody, even, um, you know, my atheist friends uh, visiting with a friend recently who's going through a great deal of difficulty and who has long, long ago walked, uh, walked away from God asking the same questions that I'm asking. And, and, and that's what I love about a biblical worldview rooted in Scripture is that there may be worldviews out there that have to put a happy face on the problems of the world, but the Christian worldview is not one of them, right? I mean, the book of Job is right there in the center of Scripture. I tease my students. I said, the book of Job might as well be labeled, hey, God, what the heck? You know, like, <laughs> what, why? And why? Why am I experiencing this? Isn't it interesting that when God speaks at the end of the book of Job, the one question he doesn't answer is why? Why? Yeah. And then you then you go into the Psalms and the psalmist asks, why am I going through all of these trials? That our relationship with God is such that we can ask those questions. It doesn't offend him. It doesn't hurt him. Um, and, and him walking with us in the person of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit uh, is powerful in a whole new way. Once I began to understand how the intellectual and the spiritual all fit together. That's so good, Jeff. It's, it's certainly encouraging. Um as you're talking there, I started to think about uh, one of the things that in the book, in your book, that you you talk about these declarations of freedom. Yeah. So these are the five truths that release us from the grip of these idea viruses that you talk about um, that intend to do us harm and intend to influence us. And these declarations help us get a proper view of the world and a proper view for the world and re- resist the bad ideas that are trying to trying to break in in our lives. And so th- these are the five of them. And I'm just going to, to walk through each one and let you just speak to each one yeah. just real quick. So the first um, declaration of freedom is this, I am loved. Jason, we wonder, we wonder that. I, I mean, I, I, I sometimes even wonder, based on the things I did growing up, based on my search for love and all the things I did that brought such pain to myself and to other people, and I, I wonder the answer, I wonder about that. And, and that's where the kind of love that Jesus offers goes so deep. You know, everybody in the world believes in eros, in erotic love. Everybody in the world believes in phileos, the family-oriented love. The idea that we would have sexual chemistry is part of evolutionary theory. I mean, you know, you'll find the most virulent atheists all believe in that. And they also believe that you would love your children because you want to protect them, right, for evolutionary purposes. But Jesus transcends all of that and says, Real love is the kind of love that has no regard for whether a person is going to be able to love in return. You're not considering whether you're going to be loved back. You just love. And we're enabled to do that through the power of Jesus. Excellent. So I am loved. The second one is this. My suffering will be overcome. Hmm. One of the great promises of Jesus is that he says, take, take heart. In this world you will have suffering, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I came to realize as I studied Scripture, that doesn't mean that we won't have pain anymore. It means that pain has been deprived of its ability to destroy what is most important about us. That's so good. That is so good. Um, so the third one is this, I have an incredible calling. The idea of calling is, is, is common throughout Scripture, the idea of the kaleo, that we, we have a special calling, that you and I personally have been called and are being called by God to do something great. 
you know, there, there are a lot of worldviews out there that say God doesn't talk to you. You don't even know who God is. You can only know him through the application of his law. And a lot of people end up with that sort of very severe viewpoint. But the God of Scripture is always calling, always walking alongside. That's awesome. Um, fourth is, I am meant for community. Right. Yeah, it's a big question. Uh, in the total, in the number of years of human history, there was a philosopher from Princeton University who said there have been 268 years, I think he said, where humanity has been completely at peace in all of human history, 268 years. Wow. We have conflict in the glo- around the globe. We have conflict in our own families, in our own communities. We have conflict within inside of ourselves. And the climate in which Jesus taught and the, uh, one of the underlying assumptions of all of his teaching was the Hebrew idea of shalom that we find it's translated in different ways, peace and prosperity and, and goodness and wellness and well-being and all of those things. But it's all of those things wrapped up that, that it isn't just about ending conflict. It is about pursuing peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not just the peacekeepers. Yeah, that's excellent. And then the fifth um, of these truths, these declarations of freedom is there is hope for the world. Yeah. You know, in the, the ancient Greek myth about Pandora's box, the one thing that isn't released from her box, according to the story, is elpis, hope, the, the Greek word for hope. And I don't know exactly why that is in the story. Maybe hope is the one thing that if it is released could would prove that it's also evil. Maybe it means that hope isn't really present. But I think as you look at scripture and you realize what Jesus teaches about hope, that that no matter what happens, we are living in a world in which Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. And nothing Richard Dawkins says can change that. Nothing that anybody who's against scripture says can ever change that reality. And that changes the way we talk. It's changed for me the way I even interact with other people. Listen, Jason, through this book, I've had more opportunities to share my faith because I am open about the issues that I've faced in my life and things that I have done and the mistakes that I have made and the struggles that I have had. And it's caused people to want to trust me and hear because everybody wants to know, am I loved? Is there any healing for my hurt? And ultimately, do I have any hope? That's awesome. I, I so appreciate you being with us, Jeff. And again, the, the book is coming out August 2017. It's called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. And if people want to uh, dig a little more deeply or, or get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing, how can they do that? Well, there are two ways to do it. The first one is go to summit.org, S-U-M-M-I-T dot O-R-G, and you can find out about the summit programs we have available. And a lot of our research is also there. The second one, and the, the website for the book is secretbattlebook.com. Dot com, And that's where people will be able to find more uh, information on that Barna research. You can look at the, uh, the Barna Research Group's website as well. This is brand new information that's coming out, and I think it's going to be very helpful to a lot of pastors to reconsider. Maybe we should make an emphasis on biblical worldview part of something we do starting this fall. Excellent, excellent. And I think I noticed on the secretbattlebook.com site that there are also some interactive things there. You can actually kind of take a little quiz or something on those lines to help you understand what worldviews might be influencing you and, and some other interactive things. This is pretty fun. Yeah. The, the very questions we asked of the American population in our Barna research, we have put together into a worldview checkup. 
And so you can go to secretbattlebook.com and you'll be able to see that worldview checkup there. And also a lot of downloadable resources so you can get samples of what this would look like. The book is accompanied by a video course. Jason. Oh, cool. So that churches could actually take this and use it as a small group course or as a church-wide study if that's of interest. Excellent. Very well. Well, once again, Jeff, I so appreciate you taking the time to be here with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. I know that what you've shared is is not only of interest um, to our audience, but I'm sure is um, raising some awareness and giving them some solid things to wrestle through and think through, uh, both personally in regard to how we're influenced, our worldviews are influenced, but then also how we can minister to to others and speak into their lives. So thank you so much for being with us today. And that's a good thing. Amen. God bless you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on today's episode. We certainly hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you are indeed finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, we'd appreciate you taking just a few moments to jump over onto iTunes and to leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders find our podcast so they can benefit as well. We thank you so much in advance. And until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.